All right, let me tell you what we're going to do today and next week as we head up towards <clears throat> Easter. Um, next week is going to be a message that the youth have heard uh, throughout all, uh, many years now, and it's how you can know the resurrection really is a real event. event. It really took place. We're going to talk about how you can know, factually speaking, that the resurrection is a real event. It's not a fable. It's not just something that's been passed down. It is, it is, it is real. It is true. And we're going to look at how you can know that. So if you know anyone that struggles with Christianity, or whether they be a, an agnostic or even an atheist, I can tell you that next week would be a good time to bring them here. And if you're looking to have your, your faith uh, boosted, uh, strengthened, then get ready because next week is, is your week. And so knowing that, and knowing I wanted to do that the week before Easter, um, I thought, well, you know what? This is what we're going to do today. If you're going to try to win someone over for Christ and, and you're going to try to help them to see what it is uh, that makes Christianity so different from all the other religions in the world, well, then you need to have as a good starting point the ability to defend where all the evidence comes from, and that's your Bible. And so if you cannot have a, a, a strong position on the Bible, then everything else that the Bible talks about really just doesn't really matter a whole lot because the believability of what it is that you're trying to sell to someone, so to speak, what you're trying to communicate to someone, they're not even going to be listening because they don't believe your source. So here's what we're going to do today. Today we're going to get into the Bible, okay? So let's pray. Father, we just want to come before you this morning and Lord, we just want to thank you that we can come in this place. Father, we can open up your word and just hear and see all the things that you have for us. And Lord, I really want to ask that today that you would help all of us in this room to leave with a better understanding as to what it is we're opening up and reading every time we do. Jesus, I pray and ask you would burn within our hearts a, a deeper appreciation for your word and the power that comes from applying your word to our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, so it's kind of awkward. I, I was going to ask everybody, so who brought their Bibles? I'm not going to do that because if you didn't, um, I don't want you to feel embarrassed but you could have it on your phone. Uh, there's going to be a lot of stuff up on the screen. Oh, which reminds me, in your bulletin, normally you'll have a few blanks. That's to kind of keep you more engaged. I did something just different just this Sunday. There are no blanks for you to fill in because there's a lot of information coming out, and I don't want you to miss anything because you're trying to remember uh, what is it that Ed just said, and you're trying to fill in that blank. All right. How many of you guys, just curiosity, this is all, all this is, how many of y'all have a Bible that's been passed down to you, say, from a grandparent? Any of y'all? How many of you have a Bible that's been passed down to you from a mom or dad that's moved on to glory? Any of you? Oh, there's a lot of hands on that. 
How many of you have ever been given a little Gideon Bible? You ever been given a Gideon Bible? Okay. How many of you, obviously it would have been early on, like me, how many of you ever did that routine where you just opened up the Bible, you put your finger down, and then you read to see what your finger landed on? Have you done that? You're going to do it all morning this morning, aren't you? The whole time. The Bible. When we look at the Bible, it can be a, a, a New International, a New American Standard, it can be a Schofield, it can be that scary King James Version, it can be the New King James Version, it can be the Living Bible, it can be whatever translation, the Bible. The Bible is a book that believers believe to be the Word of God, the written Word of God. Uh, the Bible is the one thing that is being attacked more right now today than in the history of when the Bible was put out. Uh, the Bible is, is very clearly under attack. Um, what I want to do today is I want to draw your attention to three specific areas that have to do with the Bible to give you so just some information and a greater understanding that this is more than just a book that people put together and are making a lot of money selling it because it is still the number one best-selling book of all time. I want us to look at it just can't happen, all right? So the first point I want us to look at when you regard the Bible, if someone were to ask you, well, I don't believe in the Bible. Well, what do you not believe about the Bible? Well, I, I don't know. I just, I just don't believe that it's, it is what Christians say it is. Well, then, let's, let's, let's look at that. Let's look at the first point of the Bible. And we're going to look at its unity, okay? The Bible was written over a period of 1,500 years. That is how long all the letters that we have that make up the Bible, the Bible were written. They were written by over 40 different authors. Uh, the authors come from a variety of backgrounds, such as uh, Joshua, he was a military general. <clears throat> there was Daniel, he was a prime minister. There was Peter, he was a fisherman. Nehemiah was a cupbearer. And then there were other authors of the letters as we read. There were kings that wrote the Bible, what we have today. There were peasants that wrote the Bible. Poets, herdsmen, scientists, farmers, priests, a physician, and even a tent maker wrote up what we have as our Bible. Now, among the things that we read inside the Bible, they are many. There's philosophy in the Bible. There is poetry, there is prophecy, there is theology, obviously, uh, there is history, there is science, and sociology. Virtually every single literary form uh, is found in this, in this book that I almost dropped, the Bible. Yet it is harmonious, 
And it is a continuous message from the very beginning to the very end. It's, it's unified. You know, most publishers would never dream of, invi- of inviting 40 different authors with diverse abilities and backgrounds to write on a particular theme and then bind all of their opinions as one continuous, harmonious book. You know why? It couldn't happen. They couldn't do it. If you were given a commission, if 40 members of Red Baptist Church were given a commission to write a harmonious letter outlining the life and times of Red Baptist Church, do you think when they all came together it would be harmonious? We're all on the same page? No. Wouldn't happen. But that's not the case with the Bible. A powerful testimony to the unique inspiration of the Bible is what we have right here. Every single writer did not know when they were writing the Bible that they were writing the Bible. None of them knew that. Not a one knew. You know, when I write this, one of these days I'm going to be famous. Never occurred. Didn't happen. Uh, Think about it. Um, most of the writers throughout the years had no idea that even other writings even existed, much less were being written at that time. Not a one. But under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, all the books tell a completed story. A story of God's revelation of Himself to mankind. Um, they were written in different places, Moses wrote his in the desert, in the wilderness. Think about that. Uh, Paul wrote the majority of his letters while he was in prison. And John even wrote his when he was exiled on an island for being a prisoner on Patmos. They were written on three different uh, continents. Africa, Asia, and Europe. They were written in three languages. Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Now, the contents of the Bible deal with many controversial subjects, many different subjects, yet the Bible is in complete unity. Now, think about that. From beginning to end, there is one unfolding story of God's plan of salvation for mankind. And this salvation is through the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father yet by me. Even Jesus himself testified that he is the theme of the entire Bible. Now that's important to remember why. Because if you are talking to someone and they're like, well, I don't believe in the Bible. I don't accept the Bible. I don't, I don't trust it. I just don't believe it. How can you believe in a Bible that's full of contradictions anyway? Well, one, you're never going to find a contradiction because it's not in there. But number two, you're never going to hardly ever get them to tell you, well, what is that contradiction? Why don't you show me? They're not going to be able to. Because a lot of people will just use talking points because they've heard talking points 
forever and ever and ever. Now, none of them are factual, but it's what they hear, so it's what they use to defend their position on why they don't believe in the Bible. Now, when you look at the concept how Jesus himself believes that he himself is the theme of the Bible, that's important because you can transition from the Bible and now you can focus on Jesus. And that is where that's where you want to be in any kind of a discussion with anyone. Let's get away from church. Let's get away from other, you know, trivial little things. And let's talk about Jesus. Because that's the difference maker right there. Um, in your bulletin, uh, I put that scripture in there because I really wanted you to have it. Jesus said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these, he's talking about the scriptures, that testify about me. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how are you going to believe my words? And that's what Jesus said. Remember, when Jesus was around, what did he read from? He read from the Old Testament. The Old Testament is a set of books, 39 books, that are not outdated. We're just living underneath the new covenant. <clears throat> they are not books to be discarded because we're in the New Testament times. It is still the Word of God. But Jesus, that's what he used when he was talking, when he was preaching. Um, it was the Old Testament. Jesus uh, also said, and we read this in Luke 24, 27. He's, it says, Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. Jesus is referred to as the living word of God. Our Bible is commonly referred to as the written word of God. The uh, uh, written word of God contains all the information about the living word. And it is completely and totally inspired. Uh, on the screen, you'll see this. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it's a very familiar verse to a lot of Christians. Paul wrote to Timothy and he said these words. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work, totally inspired, totally unified in every way, in every uh, circumstance, and in every single situation. And so because all Scripture is inspired, we should heed the words of Paul when he said to the Colossian believers in Colossians 3.16, you'll see this on the screen as well, he said, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You see, Paul links the peace of Christ with the Word of Christ. The Word is to dwell inside of us. 
Did you know that that Greek word dwell comes from the word house? When you think of it that way, the word of God is to take up its abode within you. That's the purpose for what we have uh, with this book. The word of Christ dwelling in our hearts becomes a vast treasury of wisdom upon which the Holy Spirit can use to guide us through every single circumstance in life. But have you noticed how so many people um, demonstrate such a lack of power when they open up their Bibles and they read it? Have you ever noticed that? Even people within the church, have you ever noticed how so many times someone would just pick up the Bible and they're just reading through this and they're just going, yeah, and it's just, it's like you're reading out of the Reader's Digest. I mean, there is no power. There is no excitement. To them, it's just words on paper. And we wonder why it is that when our friends see us and we're not excited about our faith and we're not demonstrating any kind of a change whatsoever because we're just treating this book right here like just any other book you could go out and buy. It's like, it's like they're looking... It's like believers um, have been baptized in, in lemon juice. And no one, there's no excitement. It's just sour. Just, okay, here we, here we are. It's amazing to me that when we've been given so much, how we can so quickly become so turned off because we never pick it up and read it. We never pick it up and read it. You know, it's an amazing thing to me. I was talking to Cammie about this. There's an organization like, called Super Summer. And Super Summer's theme has always been, send us your best, and we'll do our best to send them back better. And it was, I think, two years ago, one of the deans at Super Summer challenged his students to put all their, connect with everybody on social networks. And all the areas that, they, that, they, uh, that they're into connect with one another. And she was just telling me just last night, it's an amazing thing. 75 to 80% of all the people that know Jesus, that are excited for Jesus, that are Christians, you go on all the stuff that they post and it's complete garbage complete and total garbage that's because the church is just asleep they're just, the, the, the christians are asleep they're asleep in the light we don't look at this we don't hold this up for what it is anymore we don't even when's the last time you open this up with an expectation god speak to me this is his word I mean, he loves us so much, he made it sure that we got a copy of his love letter. That's all this is. If you want a reminder of maybe the outlook, the attitude that we should have when we open up this, this book, I want you to see a short video, very short. It's a video that was taken of some Chinese people who were receiving the Bible for the first time, because it's a capital punishment to have a Bible in China. Well, they got them a Bible. And I want you to see their response when they got one.
There's a thing just on Facebook this week that was talking about the recent today persecutions that's going on in China right now. And <clears throat> Runks, m- many, most of you all know who Runks is. He made a comment on there, and he really put it in perspective. The whole article is about the, just the, <clears throat> the attacks, the persecutions that's happening right now to believers in China. And his comment down below on the post was, that's the reason why the church is exploding in China. It's because they're being persecuted. Because, you see, they're being forced to have to face the fact they got to take a stand and a position. And because they're going to take that stand, that speaks to people out there who are looking for something to hold them up. Now, when you look at this video and you saw the, their response... They're getting the Bible. They're not even opening it up right away. They're hugging the Bible. They're kissing the Bible. Um, notice how quickly it got quiet. Because they were just soaking it up. I've got a Bible. You know, I would venture to say that many of us, we got many Bibles, and they're just laying around in our house. You know, John Phillips, my favorite theologian, he said this. He made this comment. You'll see this. He said, the systematic input of the word into our lives will result in the systematic output of the word from our lives. From our lives. That is so good. I'm going to say it again. The systematic input of the word into our lives will result in the systematic output of the word from our lives. That is why it is important that you stay plugged into a church um, that stands on the word of God, that believes and accepts the whole word of God as being inspired. Because today, in many different churches all around America, uh, the Bible is, unatta- is under attack. Well, what parts are inspired? Uh, what are we supposed to really read? Well, you know, that's your interpretation, but I have mine because I believe this based on this and other writings of other books and so forth. For a church to impact its people, for a church to be strong and powerful it must be a church whose foundational uh platform that they stand on is going to be based on this book right here the word of god amen amen everything from beginning to end it is the word of god your words and my words only go so far if we want to help people out But God's word is the only word that's going to go straight to the heart and change that person. Josh McDowell said this. I put this in your bulletin because I wanted you to have it. Josh McDowell, he put it this way. He said, the old, talking about the Bible, he said, the Old Testament is the preparation, Isaiah 40, verse 3. The Gospels are the manifestation. It's in John 1, 29. The book of Acts is the propagation, the going out, Acts 1.8. The epistles give the explanation, Colossians 1.27. And the book of Revelation is the consummation, 
Revelation 1-7. The Bible simply is all about Jesus. And yet, in all of its writings, and all of the time in which it was written, by the vast numbers of those who were used to write it, it is unified. Only God can make something like that happen. No one will ever be able to show or point out to you where the Bible is not unified. They'll never be able to do it. It's impossible. From beginning to end, there is one unfolding story of God's plan of salvation to mankind. Number two, the Bible is not only a book of unity, but it also is very unique. You know both the quantity and the quality of the manuscripts and the scriptures in existence today should give us confidence in the Bible's accuracy and uniqueness. For example, did you know that in the days of the Old Testament, when they would take a what we would call a letter, it was a parchment, and if a letter were to be copied, that was the role of a scribe. That was his full-time job. Remember, it wasn't as easy as going to the old copy machine and getting her done. As they would write a letter, he would have an original copy. And as they would write the letter, did you know it was interesting? They took a lot of safety precautions when transcribing these letters. Why? Because they knew it was the Word. And they so revered that it had to be perfect. If they were writing, of course it's in Hebrew, if they're writing in Hebrew and they misspelled something, did you know that the majority of the time they would throw the whole thing away over just one little letter? And then, depending, I guess, on the book or whatever the, the problem was and the, and the error, that they would mark the whole thing out so as to not even be able to recognize what was written why because there was no shadow of a doubt it had to be perfect you want to know something else that's interesting every single time a scribe whatever book he was writing would come to the name Yahweh which is the old testament name for God whenever they would come to Yahweh they would put their pen down or whatever their instrument that they were using, they were using, they would put their pen down, they would go over and they would wash their hands, they would come back, pick up their pen, and just put three dots. Those three dots, if you were the reader, you would recognize that was God. Because they so revered who God was, they didn't feel worthy enough to even write his name and a lot of the scrolls that they have uncovered. Isn't that interesting? And we take his name in vain all the time. The accuracy of the writings as they were written are exactly how they were when they were written the first time. You know, there are 5,000 Greek manuscripts and there are 8,000 Latin manuscripts in existence today that compares against the New Testament in documentary support. Did you know that? Did you know we have seven ancient copies of Plato's writings? We have five of Aristotle's. Just five, but we got five. Did you know that in all of history... The number two book 
and manuscript authority is the Iliad by Homer with 643 surviving manuscripts. Number two book and manuscript authority, which simply says this is how it was written, and we know this is exactly how it was written because all these other copies from it, they say the same thing. The number two book, 643 manuscripts. As of 2010, we currently today have 24,633 manuscripts of the New Testament alone. 24,000. Because of the great reverence of the Jewish scribes and early Christians towards the Scriptures, they exercised extreme care in accurately copying and preserving the authentic text as we have it today. You know, one of the greatest and most respected, well-known theologians of our time, F.F. Bruce, said this, and this is in your bulletin. He said this, quote, The evidence for the New Testament writings is ever so much greater than the evidence for many writings of classical authors, the authenticity of which no one dreams of questioning. If the New Testament were just a collection of secular writings, their authenticity would be generally regarded as beyond all doubt. Now, you know the reason why I put that in there? It's because how many of you, by a show of hands, how many of you have talked with someone before and they've used the argument, well, how do you know that what was written now was what was written then? Because that's been a really long time ago. How do you know it hasn't been changed over the years? Have you heard that argument? Because you will. It's a big one. Because they don't want to have to face the stuff that's here because it is convicting. So what do they got to do? They got to dismiss it. And it's, they can't. We've got way, way too much evidence in existence today to show that the way it was written and the way it is now is one and the same. This uh, great number of manuscripts authenticating the New Testament motivated Sir Frederick Kenyon. Uh, you'll see this on the screen. He was one of the leading authorities on the reliability of ancient manuscripts, and he wrote this. He said, you know the interval then between the dates of the original composition and the earliest evidence becomes so small as to be, in fact, negligible. And the last foundation of any doubt that the Scriptures have come down to us substantially as they were written, has now been removed. Both the authenticity and the general integrity of the books of the New Testament may be regarded as finally established. Okay, in other words, from the moment everything was written that we read about to the what we're reading right now, they are one and the same. To this effect, Dr. Paul Mayer, this is both on the screen and in your bulletin, he was the professor of ancient history at Western Michigan University. He said this, arguments that Christianity hatched its Easter myth over a lengthy period of time or that the sources were written many years after the events are just not factual. Now, the reason why I brought that one up because if you haven't heard this, you will. 
How can you believe in this story of a resurrection when it was written hundreds and hundreds of years after the event? There is no way to substantiate the facts. Well, the truth of the matter is, it wasn't hundreds and hundreds of years later. Uh, letters were circulating. We have them. They're called epistles in our New Testament. Were written at the time when the eyewitness accounts of Jesus rising from the grave were still alive. So it was easily verified. It wasn't something that was written a long time later to back up this myth that this guy rose from a grave. It's just not factual. It's not factual at all. Here's something I thought you would like. Sir William Ramsey was a wealthy atheist, and he had a doctorate in philosophy at Oxford University. He gave his entire life to archaeology for one purpose, to disprove the Bible. And he told, everyone knew it. His life's mission was to disprove the Bible. And the best way to do that to him was archaeology. After 25 years of work, he became particularly impressed with the historical accuracy of Luke and Acts. Which, by the way, I don't know if you knew this, in our Bible there are two different books, but when they were written, it was one book. Always oh, pretty interesting to me. He became uh, impressed with the historical accuracy of Luke and Acts. Then he shocked the world by declaring himself to be a Christian. Only the Word of God, y'all, can do something like that. Amen? Amen. And then third and last, we're going to look at uh, not only the unity and the uniqueness, that is the accuracy, but we're going to look at the undeniable influence that we see that the Bible has for anyone that's looking for truth. No other book than the Bible compares in terms of sales and influence. It has always been a bestseller. More books are written about the Bible either to explain it or to explain it away than any other book in all of history. It stands at the center of the literary destructive uh, 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 of the literary world. It is unique in its endurance. It has been banned. It has been burned and subjected to destructive criticism, yet it remains. The Bible is unique in its message. It claims to be the very word of Creator God. And finally, the Bible is unique in its power to change a person's life. Throughout the centuries, no book can compare with the Bible and its life-changing impact. Although we may not be able to prove the skeptics that the Bible is the Word of God, we can point to the evidence that surrounds how it came to be and what it is. We can challenge the skeptics to examine their own prejudices and to read the Bible for themselves. You know, Baptists have always been called or referred to as the people of the book. I don't know if you know that. That's an old school thought, but that's how Baptists were recognized. The book 
is called the Bible. And it's composed of 66 books all in one. Um, and while there may be other questions that surround the Bible, like the Apocrypha, um, other letters that were written, um, what was chosen, what was not chosen, on the composition of all of it coming together over 400 years. This We're going back into early church history. Um, how it became canonized, that is, uh, how it was assembled. Uh, the differences between a King James Version Bible and just the modern translations today. And many, many, many other questions that surround this topic is a good discussion to have for another day. That's a study of apologetics right there. And we need to have that, and I can pretty much guarantee you we will get into that because everybody wants to know, well, what do I say if someone comes up with this question? Or what's the answer to this if someone were to ask me this? We'll do that. But the purpose of the message today is a different purpose. Every single thing that we hold to about our faith is here in this, in this Bible. Everything. Everything. And if we as believers believe that this is the Word of God, then we also understand that the Word of God has power. And the Word of God can cut. The Word of God can change. The Word of God can leave you totally different than the way you were right before you picked it up and started to read it. Why is that? Because it's the Word of God. It's, it's the Word of God Himself. And if you have a Bible, God loved you so much that He made sure you got a copy of His love letter just for you. When you look at the Bible, keep in mind these three words. Revelation, illumination, and inspiration. What is revelation as we look at the Bible? Revelation, this is in your bulletin. I just I listed this. Revelation is the process by which God unveils himself and his will to us. It's the revealing of who God is so that you and I can know who he is. Revelation. There is a second term, illumination. The illumination is the Holy Spirit's work as he enlightens your mind and my mind so that we can have spiritual understanding while we read his book. Case in point, how many of you have read something you have read many, many times before, a verse in the Bible, and all of a sudden you read it and you get something totally different that's just the wow factor? Ever done that? It's the Word of God. Only God's Word can do that. That's called illumination. And then the third is inspiration. Inspiration refers to God's in-breathing and to the chosen human messengers through the Holy Spirit, enabling them by divine guidance to deliver or record God's revealed message. If you want to make that one real simple, in the scriptural sense, it simply means God breathed. God breathed it. Over 40 different authors with very different backgrounds in very different places with totally different personalities 
were used as they were guided by the influence of the Holy Spirit to write and to compose a letter that we now have as total inspiration as to who God is. And we have many different ways in which we can get the Word of Christ where it belongs. And where does it belong? It belongs in our heart, doesn't it? Not just head knowledge. We can read it all day long. But if we're not applying it to the heart, it's only going to do two things. It's going to make your heart cold. It's going to make your heart hard. And it's just going to be right up here. But those who will take his word and apply it, do what it says, that's an act of faith. And that is what moves God. We can memorize it. We can meditate on it. We can study it. We can quote it. But you need to live by it. The word of God is a very powerful powerful weapon to use it's the weapon that jesus used when he fought against satan when jesus was tempted in the wilderness and satan showed up how did jesus combat satan he quoted the word of god and satan fled satan fled i don't know if you're involved in scripture memory i can honestly tell you If you're not, you should begin to do so because it'll change your life. And it's actually exciting. And whereas many of you would say, well, I can't memorize, you're lying. Because if you know your phone number or if you know your address, if you know your spouse's birthday, and hopefully you do, you're memorizing. It is powerful to hear God's Word. I know when I'm speaking to someone and they're going through a really tough time, I'll talk to them, and the whole time I'm talking, in my mind, I'm trying to think of what Scripture verse can I give them because they need to leave on that. You are guaranteed, y'all, that if you quote the Word of God, it's going to be an absolute every single time. God will always honor his word. He won't always honor ours because we don't always honor ours, but he will honor his word. When you hear the word of God and it's being projected, God does something to the heart. You don't think so? How about James? In the first chapter of James, what does James say? It says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. This is James writing. And then James says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter uh, various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, and he will give it to you generously and beyond reproach, and it will be done for you. But let him ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, 
being driven to and from by the wind, for let not that man expect he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Let the brother of humble circumstances glory in his high position, and let the rich man glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass and its flower falls off, so too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits, they will fade away. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. But let no one say when he is tempted, You know, I am being tempted by God because God cannot be tempted by evil and he himself is not tempted by anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived. Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we might be, as it were, the first fruits from among his creation. This you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word which is implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves to be doers of the word and not just hearers of the word. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer he is like a natural man who looks at his face in the mirror for once he has looked at himself and gone away he has immediately forgotten what kind of a person he was but the one who looks intently at the perfect law the law of liberty and abides by it this man will be blessed in what he does if anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his own tongue, this man's religion is worthless. This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Pretty good, isn't it? That's, now, I, I'm not saying it clap for me. Doesn't that do something when you hear someone get up and just start quoting Scripture? You know what? And you know what it makes me do? It makes me want to run out and start memorizing. That's, I remember one time I was at an event. I'll share this as we close. This guy was called the Bible. Now that's, I don't know if that's kind of weird right there, but he was called the Bible. You could ask him anything, and he could quote it. There were thousands of people, thousands of people that were at this convention. And so he was doing this thing for 40 mi- 45 minutes, and it just, boy, it just made me, like, gosh, I, I want to I do something like that. This, is, this has been a while back. At the end of his presentation, 
he asked this question. He said, does anyone want to guess why you thought I got involved in memorizing Scripture? And people from all over putting their hands up, and he had them shout out the answers. And people were shouting answers like, because you love Jesus. What a charity answer right there, but come on. But that was, that was like the first one. Uh, people were saying, because you love God's Word. The cheesiest, because you want to hide His Word in your heart. Okay, but all these people were given all these answers, which were very positive accolades to this guy for a while that he had memorized, which he was brilliant. You know what he said? I loved it. I remember it now, and it's been 30 years later, and I can remember it. He said, I wish those were the reasons why I memorized, started memorizing the, the scriptures, but none of those are, are, are the reason. He said, I struggled with the, with the sin of lust. And in my quiet time, I asked God, God, how can I overcome this ugly area in my life? And God spoke to me and he said, start memorizing my word and I'll eradicate it from your life. And he goes, and I did, and he did. You know what I liked about that? Because he was willing to share that in front of every single person that was out there. I was convicted on memorizing only based on the fact that as I was sitting there that day, and that's where it all started, I'm sitting there and I'm listening to this guy and I'm thinking, well, what have I memorized? I haven't memorized much of anything. And so I got involved in memorizing Scripture. And the one thing I can tell you is this. If you will start memorizing Scripture... It's kind of like working out if you haven't been working out in a little while. I mean, you can run across, you know, one end to your house and you're breathing hard, right? But the more you keep working out, you're running down the street. You keep working out, you're running down the other street. Next thing you know, you're psycho running in marathons and all this stuff, okay? Memorizing scriptures the same way. You just got to get into it and then let it get into you and then it's going to take off. And there are many, many times you're going to be talking to someone and they're going to have a problem and you're going to give them a verse and you're going to be thinking, when did I memorize that? You know, the Bible says that his word will never come back void, doesn't it? You will find yourself saying scriptures at times. You, you haven't recited that scripture in years, but you know why God will use that? Because you took the time once upon a time to memorize it and apply it to your heart. So I just want to give you a challenge this morning. Because we know what the Bible is, and because we know what the Bible can and will do if we will allow it. If you're married, I just want to ask you, why don't you challenge one another? Pick just a small passage of Scripture. You take half, let your spouse take the other half. See who can memorize theirs the fastest. I mean, I make it into a game. Whatever, whatever works. But see what you can do in memorizing Scripture and grow on it. You and your spouse. I mean, it's just a game. I'm just trying to think of ways in which you can make this uh, become a reality. If you're struggling in your life spiritually, start memorizing Scripture. I can tell you the biblical replacement of putting God's word in your life will change 
your life. Because when you go to that degree of honoring God's word, God's going to do something with it, and he's going to do something with you because you're taking time to not just be a, a reader of it, but you're now applying it so much so that you are memorizing it, you're taking it to heart. And at those times when you need someone to pick you up, God's going to bring that truth that you have memorized and apply to your heart, to your mind, or he's going to use you as the Jesus that he needs when you're talking to someone who's really, really going through a difficult time, and you're going to be able to give them God's word. And that's when you see lives changed. The Bible, oh, it's way more than just a book written by man, and we know that. Next week, we're going to get into the study on how we can know from what we read in the Bible that the resurrection is a real fact. Let's pray. Father, we just want to come before you this morning, and God, we want to thank you for your word, literally. All that you have given us and all that you allow us um, to experience every single time when we open it up. Father, I pray and ask that this morning that you would help us to really take another look at the Bible and just, just how more than blessed we are to have a copy of it. God, when we are reminded of this video clip of those believers on the other side of the world who are heavily persecuted, their response when they see that, God, it's more than humbling to us. Father, I want to pray and ask that you would help all of us, me especially, to get back to that time in our life when we pick it up, we, we recognize what it is immediately, and we treat it with the respect that it's due. Father, I just want to ask this morning that you would help us to grow in our knowledge of your word and that we would really begin to apply your word to our lives because of the power that you can use with it in impacting other people. God, we want to thank you this day for all that you've done. I want to thank you, God, for all that you're going to do. And again, God, I pray, help us to be stronger witnesses in the distribution and the way in which we apply your word to those around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.